0: Turn back in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews and chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, This morning, I'm going to preach to us from verses 19 through to 25 um, on a subject I've called uh, God's plan for your perseverance. God's plan uh, for your perseverance. God's plan to help you persevere in the faith. I'm going to preach um, two sermons on that subject one to, uh, this morning and another next Lord's Day morning as well. Um, let me read those verses. I know it's somewhat lengthy. I'm going to read verses 19 through to 25, just so you remember uh, where we are uh, in the text. Um, Having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil. That veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching now the title of the sermon or the use of that term that phrase perseverance that we have to persevere should already tell us something about the nature of the Christian faith and at the very least it's this that the what it means to be a Christian is in one sense to be in the process Of reaching a certain goal that um, something about being a Christian or something about the nature of faith implies that Christianity has a process involved in it that there is something progressive about the life of faith so quite famously uh, John Bunyan's renowned um, allegorical uh, Christian literature is titled the pilgrim's progress because that's what the Christian life is, is we are reaching somewhere. And we, we may, maybe subconsciously, um, obscure that reality because of actually what is um, correct jargon, Christian jargon, Christian terminology. So we often speak about being saved. We ask each other, are you saved? And, that's, and we want to say to that, yes, I'm saved. And that's true, and there's nothing wrong with that as far as we are not um, ignoring context. And so we may, for example, be using that and thinking that being able to speak that way has to obscure the reality that we're also pursuing salvation. Now, if that's true, if the Christian is at once saved and pursuing salvation, then there's a sense in which if you want yes he has to say i've arrived at something but in another sense in which he must be or she must be able to with clarity say i haven't arrived there's a goal i'm aiming for that goal is salvation and so in one sense you could describe a christian as someone who is saved the deliverance that God has brought and promised in what Christ has accomplished. But in another sense, you can define a Christian as someone who is pursuing salvation, right? And, and, and that is enough to separate the Christian from the one who is not the believer from the unbeliever. The believer is someone who professes to be in the pursuit of this salvation. The unbeliever is someone who is not. Um, Take a biblical story for this as a helpful illustration. Jesus Christ told us to remember Lot's wife. And if you were able, if you had been allowed to be uh, in the sky at the time when Lot and his family were escaping Sodom and Gomorrah, if you were allowed to have a kind of panoramic drone view of the whole event. And you saw the angel reaching for the stuttering Lot and drag him out and instruct them to head towards safety and not look back because God was going to destroy the city. If you pause that moment there, it's right to say that Lot and his wife were being saved. They were saved. Those were the few that God, Lot, his wife and his family, they were the few that God was delivering from The judgment, the doom he had promised Sodom and Gomorrah, they were being saved. They were saved, in a sense. You could say that. But if you were too presumptuous, if you left off that scene there and didn't watch it to the end, you would miss the fact that although Lot's wife looked like she was saved, she wasn't really saved. She was about to fail to arrive at salvation. She looks back. She becomes a pillar of salt. Because at that moment, yes, God had saved them, but he had also given them a promise of salvation which they were called to pursue. And Lot's experience is a proper illustration of what we come to know about faith. And how could we not? Doesn't experience tell us that not everyone who once calls themselves saved is saying the same thing next week or next year or 10 years down the line. Don't we all know people who we once called saved but can't refer to with that same terminology any longer? They don't share that identity anymore. And so it's important for us to recognize that, that as true as it is that a believer can rejoice in calling himself saved, actually, the demonstration that you are truly saved is that you continue to pursue salvation until you arrive at the desired end. What that means is until you get to the end, in one sense, you are not saved. Now, to address this issue of persevering in the faith and the call we all have to pursue salvation, it, it can be no surprise to anyone who's familiar with the New Testament that I turn your attention to the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews is a book that has as its application almost, almost its it's. its Major application, you know, as you do in a sermon, you might give almost the theoretical basis for what you want to, a theoretical basis for what you want to, for, you want to uh, encourage these believers to do. Almost the the the, the, uh, the encouragement part of Hebrews is dealing with telling these Christians not to give up on their faith. Telling these Christians, listen, yes, God has promised rest to his people, but you have to, you have to get there. You have to keep going. If you, if, you, if, you, if you shrink, if you give up, if you forsake Jesus, if you turn your back on him, then you can't still say you're saved. Being saved is about pursuing this salvation. So to address a subject like um, uh, perseverance it's only right that we come to the book of Hebrews. Now, I want to do that in a moment. I want to show you this passage, these uh, verses 19 to 25 which serve as almost, if you want, the primary uh, exposition of what I've said as far as the commandment of Hebrews is. This is the place where the writer to the Hebrews begins to apply the glorious truths he has taught before. And what he applies, the, his application, maybe summarizes your call to persevere. You have to keep on going for, for, for your faith to be genuine you have to keep on believing. There's no such thing as kind of believing once and and, and and that's it. I believed once and so it doesn't matter if I believe hereafter. Actually, no, that is will be an unfortunate a distortion of what the Christian faith truly looks like. Before we look at the text, let me just say a, a, a few things almost theologically about persevering. These are general truths that I want you to bear in mind which I appreciate because I'm honing in on the text. I might not be able to emphasize at point in the sermon. But just a few things. First of all, that all those who profess faith in Jesus Christ must persevere till the end if they will be saved. That's one thing I'm saying. If you say you are saved, then in one sense, we will know by if you're saved 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, till the day you leave the earth, the day you stand before God in judgment. That's not denying the fact that actually because God's work is perfect, we can speak of, of being saved from the beginning. That's not to deny that actually the Holy Spirit convinces his people even way before they get to the end, that they will get to the end. I believe that. And yet, the writer to the Hebrews, in a shocking statement in his epistle, says there are some people who taste the power of the Holy Ghost and still don't make it to the end. So, so what he kind of says is there are some people who will tell you that they also once felt like the Holy Spirit was telling them that they were saved, and then years down the line, are no longer Christians. Proof of the genuineness of our faith is, is that we persevere to the end, and all those who profess faith in Jesus Christ must persevere. Uh, And and so this persevering is the mark of genuine faith. So you see what I'm saying. I'm not saying that where there is genuine God-wrought faith, I believe that can fall away. I don't believe that. I do believe that if God has begun something, he will complete it. But that persevering to the end is the evidence, is that signal, that monumental evidence that this is genuine. Almost more than anything, more than faith's capacity to respond to truth. Or faith's capacity to do good works. More than that, perhaps, is the fact that this faith perseveres, it carries on to the end. But thirdly, that falling away is a real thing, right? It, 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 can, it can gnaw and uh, it, can, it can jar at our theological understanding as much as we want. It can create all kinds of tensions that we find difficult to resolve. It can introduce all kinds of paradoxes that we don't want to have to engage with. But you cannot read a book like Hebrews. You cannot read the warnings that are throughout, not just the New Testament, but spread throughout the Bible and not realize that to fall away from the faith is a real, thing. It's a real threat. That, that this is not just... Some kind of pointless hypothetical situation that you're being placed into. This is not some abstract reality. You are being told that as a Christian, you're going to have to commit to persevering. You're going to have to fight to, uh, fight to run the race. Otherwise, you fall away. That people who profess faith in Jesus Christ either fight to the end, run the race to the end, or they drop out. It's a real thing. How can we look around us and not think that? How can we look around us and not realize that actually people do fall away from this profession of faith in Jesus Christ? right? How can we not look at the threats that Christians face when it comes to just being faithful to Jesus Christ? The threats of Satan and his temptations which we have to face every single day. Maybe even worse still, our own sinful hearts, what we call the flesh. And it's untrustworthiness, which you and I face with every day. We face the tendency that we have to betray our Lord. On, on, on a, almost a, a, a daily basis we're faced with that. Or the world and its rejection of all things that are true and all things that are, that are righteous. And its desire to entice, entice us to walk away from the Lord. How can we know those things and not realize that actually falling away is a real thing? That actually, unless God keeps me, I'm really under threat. I think when we face up to the, the, the difficulties, the challenges, the challenges, the temptations that Christians face in this world, if we're counting the cost properly, we genuinely have to be asking ourselves, am I still going to be in this 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line? I, I, will, I, will I endure to the end? We generally have to ask ourselves that. Now hopefully we can answer and say that by trusting God's grace we will, but that's a question that surely we must broach. Perseverance reminds us that we must suffer many hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. That being a Christian is can be difficult work. It's rewarding. It's a blessing. It's the most joyful thing to be a believer. But it's tough. Uh, reading, I was reading the rest of chapter 10 and you heard how the writer to the Hebrews was telling these Christians, something that he's probably not even saying to us at this moment, that they should keep on loving Jesus Christ and following him, like they once did when they were facing the most difficult temptations. Most of us know nothing and may even, may, may even know nothing of the kind of difficulties these guys face. And yet there was still a calling for them to keep on following Jesus Christ. The, the doctrine of perseverance reminds us that we, we enter into the kingdom of God through difficulty. Mentally and physically, emotionally, we have to fight and we have to, it, it's not easy, we have to suffer. In a way, in the same way our Lord suffered before he entered into glory, we share in some kind of suffering before we enter into glory. And so the last person who is going to make it in the the Christian race is the person who has decided to love, ease, and comfort. That's maybe where the world is so dangerous for us in our generation is that it promises so much ease and it entices you, it advises you to pursue comfort as much as you can. To hate sacrifice, to hate discomfort, to hate any kind of thing that makes you uncomfortable. And the pursuit of ease is the beginning of running away from the pursuit of Christ. It's impossible to love comfort and love Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Moses, it's the writer of the Hebrews that says this, had to choose to suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's why Christ says we take up our cross to follow him and perseverance perseverance reminds us of that. But lastly, let me say this before I come to the text that we persevere because God is preserving us, right? So I'm not denying that this is, that even persevering for the Christian is all of grace. You know, if you're familiar with what's called, what's often called the doctrines of grace or uh, the five points of Calvinism, the, the last letter in what is often used to um, used to explain those doctrines the, the tulip the is often uh, in that acronym is often representing represents the perseverance of the saints and there 's a lot of theological discussion over whether we should refer to that as the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints and folks who say we should call it the perseverance of the saints are making the point that if you call it preservation of the saints, it makes it look like Christians don't have to resist sin. They don't have to fight. They don't have to, they don't have to make every effort to get into the kingdom. And that's not true. Uh, they say we should call it perseverance for that reason. I have to say that I'm, I, I, I lean towards referring to that doctrine as the preservation of the saints. Because I feel like grace just sounds better when it makes us question if we have any part to play at all. That sounds more like grace. When you talk about the grace of God and it makes you say to yourself, so what's my role in this? Then it it just might be that you're coming to grasp what God's grace is like. And so I believe that it's absolutely God that preserves us. And every muscle, every effort we make to preserve ourselves in the faith is because, because, or sorry, to persevere in the faith is because God is preserving us. But my point today is that God preserves us by giving us a faith that perseveres in the faith that perseveres in this race right and that's why it is god's plan for your perseverance that's how god preserves us Uh, so we have a responsibility to persevere in the faith we have a responsibility to, to run the race but it's god who gives us the strength but this morning then let me draw your attention to as i say god's plan for how you should persevere how grace works how grace works itself out in the life of the believer um, so that we can run this race. When, we are, when we're fighting and resisting all kinds of opposition that we have no power to withstand, Satan and the world and, the, and our own deceitful heart. How does God keep his people? Uh, how does grace work itself out? I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting one thing today in, in, in verses um, 24 and 25, because I imagine you could answer that in a variety of ways. How does God help us to persevere? Well, you can say many things. Well, today I want to highlight one thing. I'm highlighting especially um, the fact that God uses the church or fellowship to help us persevere in the faith, that God's plan for us to persevere is to keep us in, in churches. Uh, but before I do so, I want, to do two, I want to just do one more thing. So I'm going to address how the church is a means of perseverance in a moment. Before that, I want to say a, a few more things about the nature of perseverance by looking at verses 19 to 22. And so what I'm saying is that in verses 19 to uh, sorry, verse 19 to 23 in verse 19 to 23 um, the, 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 the writer to the Hebrews tells us in a, in a sense what it means to persevere in the faith. What does this look like? What, when he says to these believers, I want you to Persevere, if that's the, if that's the application of, 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 his, of his teaching. What does he mean by that? What does it look like? Uh, I want us to get, uh, to, 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 to get a little close to, to what that means and also almost come close to saying, why then do some people fall away? What does it look like to fall away? How do I know if I'm in a place where I'm actually persevering in the faith or how do I know if I'm falling away? And I think we can glean that by looking at what the writer says in verses 19 to 22. Now, as I've said um, when you come to verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10, the writer to the Hebrews is applying the, his long sermon before this. This is a sermon that reaches as far back as chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. And, and this sermon has been him telling these Christians that Jesus Christ is, is he's the great high priest. He's the only way. Now, quickly, it would seem like the Christians he's writing to in the book of Hebrews are tempted to turn their back on the faith. Tempted to go back to some kind of Judaism, Jewish their, their Jewish expression of religion. Perhaps people were telling them, this new Christianity thing that you guys are doing, it, it, it doesn't look like a rich religion. It doesn't have a lot of, um, it doesn't have a, a lot of substance to it. It doesn't seem to us like right? all you guys do is meet up and pray and you sing, you talk about this Jesus. There's not enough ceremony. Not enough ceremony, not enough drama to it, like the Jewish religion had. I can imagine uh, um, some of these ancestral religions of today having that kind, wielding that kind of power. Someone saying to you, you know, Christianity is all well and good, but it doesn't, you say for, for, for black folk, it doesn't, it doesn't really address your origins. And our ancestors didn't worship like this. And, 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 there's no, and there's not enough drama to it, not enough. That's, that's why so many religions today are con- so concerned with the external, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's an outfit you have to wear to worship and uh, Islam has its absolutions and its washings, its rituals. Um, and Christianity is very much devoid of a lot of this stuff, and even sometimes those who claim Christianity are, 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 are desperate for this. So you think of Roman Catholicism and in Roman Catholicism they 're so desperate it would seem to still hold on to this kind of ritualistic um, form of religion that what now, now the Bible has the, the Christianity has a ritual of the lord 's Supper, but what the Bible says about the lord 's Supper being just a, a being symbolic of the Uh, of the death of our Lord. And uh, Christians, when we take the Lord's Supper, when we eat that bread and we drink from the cup, we're, 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 we're only symbolically telling of a deeper reality for us. Roman Catholicism is obsessed with making that a ritual, and before you know it now, the the, the wafers and the the loaves of bread begin to be worshipped, and um, you can't spill it, and you can can almost, uh, somehow apparently it becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. Religions are, human religions are so often concerned with the external, um, because there's no true power behind it. And this writer to the Hebrews is writing to these Christians who are being tempted to fall back into that, being tempted to go back into this um, nationalistic form of religion they had. Um, and he's saying to them, no, Jesus Christ is greater than anything, any other form of religion. Jesus Christ is greater than, uh, than the expression of religion that God did once ordain. But when God ordained it, he ordained it as a shadow to give way to the real thing. And Jesus Christ is the real thing. And so he spent a lot of time just expostulating, ex- expositing that, showing them how actually um, the Old Testament and the Old Testament religion should come to an end now in one sense because Christ has arrived and everything, the sacrifices, the priests, were all pointing to Jesus Christ. And then his application is because Jesus Christ is this great high priest, you can't turn away from him because to turn away from him must be to have must be to fall into destruction and um, he, he tells them, them in, in verses 19 to 20, 23 this is what he applies he applies it he says because Jesus Christ is so great carry on in him and what does that look like for him I want to I say, say a few things first of all I think it looks like recognize the greatness of Jesus Christ or Why you first loved him Right? In the book of Revelations, Christ said to one church, Return to your first love. Remember what this Jesus is to you. In particular, in Hebrews, it's the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our high priest. What does that mean? Christ is the one who, in his body, draw, brings us to God. By sacrificing his life on the cross, he gives us fellowship with God, he gives us access to God. He says in verses 19, Brethren, through Jesus Christ, we can confidently enter into the most holy places. Through Jesus Christ, we know that God is for us. Through Jesus Christ, we know that God is on our side. Through Jesus Christ, we know that we are God's children. Jesus Christ gives us a certain kind of confidence, a certain kind of boldness. That relying on our own works will never give because we are sinful. Because we are sinners. So if we were relying on how we acted, if we were relying on our habits, if we were relying on our affection, we would never want to approach God because we just feel so unworthy. This must be why so many other religions are characterized by uh, external rituals. Because maybe if I can fulfill these rituals... Right, So a Muslim has to wash a number of times a day because this might be achievable. This, this, this is some way by which I can maybe silence my guilty conscience if I, if I show God that there's something I can do to earn his love and grace. When really and truly, if we look deep within, no amount of washing of the skin can wash away my sinful thoughts. No man of washing, you guys are, I'm sure, I hope all of you have had a wash today. Maybe not, I'm not judging you. But most times, most times you guys would have had a wash coming here today. Not just a wash, you know, nice ointments and perfume and all that good stuff and you smell great. But you know that the best sense can't masquerade, can't mask your, your sin. I, I, I could be, I could come in here so clean and still within have the most impure thoughts. I could come in here so, so clean and still have done the most despicable things and still see that deep within, I'm, I'm just a sinner. I'm, I have a propensity to lie, to be afraid of people, to try and please others. I have a, um, to, to, to lust, to, to, to be controlled by what I see. I'm, I've sinned against God's law. None of us. We're all unrighteous. Why would you want any other way to approach God apart from Jesus Christ who says, Approach God by me. We don't do anything. I died for you. Because the kind of cleansing of our sin, the cleansing of our sin would require death. Friends, why do you think folks don't want to come into the house of God? Because to stand face to face with the holy God would land us having to face a verdict of death. Because the only way to deal with our sinfulness is to face that kind of judgment. But here is Jesus Christ who died for us. His blood cleanses us. And now when I approach God, it's not because of anything I am. I don't fixate on who I am. I fixate on who he is and what Christ has done. And the writer to the Hebrews, when he says, persevere in the faith, he's saying, never stop living that way. Never stop feeling like the greatest thing that ever happened to you was for your sins to be washed away. Now I concede that unless that presupposition is present, these words mean nothing to you. Unless you believe that the greatest problem humanity faces is that we're sinners, then, it's, then yes, this doesn't mean anything to you. Unless you concede that the only hope we have in this world, you know, we're always speaking about our only hope, our only hope the only hope we truly have is that Jesus Christ has died, then these verses mean nothing to you. But if you, if you, if you're the kind of person who has one day said, my biggest problem—and there's many problems in this world—but my, in fact, my one true problem, in a sense, is what can wash away my sins? There's a hymn like that, and the, the Christian we sing it. Christians sing and they say, "What can wash away my sins?" In loud chorus, the most profound question we ever asked. And we love to sing that line, not because we are morbid, but because it leads us to the most profound statement of grace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. It cleanses me. And when the writer to the Hebrew says, persevere, he says, never stop feeling that way. Don't start living as if You have so many problems that that problem is now not so important. Don't be so consumed by the struggles and the challenges and the trials of life that you are unable to say, in all these things, my biggest problem is what can wash away my sin and Jesus has done it, so I always have reason to rejoice. Persevere, he's saying. He's saying the moment someone stops to feel that way, the moment we start we stop believing that we're falling away that's that's what he's he's warning these folks he's saying you guys are living as if the your your state before a holy god is no longer the most important thing to persevere in the faith you see what that is to persevere in the faith is to be able to stop and say i still believe this is the great quandary i i still believe and i've i've got houses and cars and children and friendships and i have got dreams i'm pursuing and i've got ambitions but i still believe deep within that i only have one problem and that there is only one solution that's that's how you persevere That's a, the man who's persevering in the faith is still saying that let me let me rush on because there's so much he tells us he says in 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 in, in verse 22 He says and so we 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 draw near to god through jesus christ with a sincere heart to persevere in the faith is to continue to believe that all of life the meaning of life of true life is this one movement towards god so when he says let us draw near he's not just speaking about in the context of a service like this which is true he's saying in all of our lives let us turn away from sin and draw near to God. The person who is persevering is saying, that's, that's life for me. Life for me is drawing near to God. It's not always easy to see. Sometimes I'm tempted to go another way. And there's, there's, these, there's these enemies of mine. There's these I face opposition from the way the world thinks because the world wants to tell me God is not that important. Focus more on building your brand. Focus more on making money. Focus more on on growing your social group. And I I feel temptation from the flesh because sometimes the flesh wants to indulge in its own sin and indulge in self. However, I've chosen to believe that the most important thing of every single hour, every single moment is to know that I'm drawing near to God. God. I will always make that the meaning of life, right at the center of it all. Whether I'm on holiday, whether I'm with friends, whether I'm in hospital, whether I'm in a new job, it's always going to be, am I drawing near to God through Jesus Christ? Persevere in that. He's writing to believers who he's saying, you'll begin to to say, that might not be the most important issue for me now. That's what it means for someone to fall away from the faith. They say, for me, a relationship with God and drawing near to him is not so important anymore. It's not the big thing for me. You have to persevere. You have to you have to get those priorities right. You have to make sure nothing changes that. With a sincere heart, with a true heart, not hiding things from and not hiding from God. We don't have anything to bring. As far as how we can be made right with God. One of, the, one of the hymns we sing says, Nothing in my hand to bring, simply to your cross I cling, but we must come with a true heart. One, one, of, the, one of the things that makes people fall away is because they begin to conceal things from God. They, they, can't, they can't say with the psalmist of God, search my heart. They don't want to say it anymore. There's a sin that they've chosen to hide. There is there, there are competing idols that they're choosing to hide. And this is why it's a, very, it's a very difficult thing to speak into such situations. Sometimes people fall away from the faith and we say, but they, they knew this, they said this, they did this. And ma- many times what we need to do is be quiet and say nothing to that situation because this is a heart issue and only God searches the heart. Now the scriptures tell us certain things about the heart, but there's also just some things we cannot know. But when a man ultimately falls away, when a woman ultimately falls away, believe it, there's an insincer- insincer- insincerity. There is a self-deceit that is taking place because this person has chosen not to live for God, not to draw near for God. Deep within, there is now something that I love more than God. If I expose it, he will take it away from me and I've chosen this thing over God. The writer of the Hebrew says, persevere by being sincere. Persevere by being true. Be true to God. Confess. That's what it is to persevere. I I hope you see what I'm saying. I'm saying a sensible Christian often asks themselves, where am I in my faith? Where am I standing before the Lord now? Very often we do that. And I'm saying I want us to have the right measurements for that. And the right measurement is to say, Right now and today, this morning, as a Christian, am I living with a heart that is exposed to God? Is my heart sincere before him? or am I That's how you first came. That's how you, came to your That's how you became your first love. The same way, the way you know the people you love the most is by the vulnerability. You tell them everything, right? If, if um, a marriage begins to fall apart, and you start to dig deep, you're going to see secrets everywhere. With those who we love the most, we tell them the innermost. The day you began to love Jesus Christ and you knew the Lord was at work in you was a day when you told him everything. The things you were ashamed of. Usually with our superficial relationships, we tell them the good things. Even our failings are good. Right, I might tell you, oh, when I tell you the things I'm bad at, it's the things that won't make you look down on me. It's the things that you probably won't judge me too harshly for. We don't expose everything like that to people, but when we first came to the Lord, we confess everything. I remember when I was uh, about 18 and I came to the Lord, I was in a church service and... Call. I'm not even, I'm not even, I don't even like autocalls. calls. But I, it was an call and call and I came I went out because someone went and I was on my knees. And it was a terrible sermon as well, prosperity gospel sermon. It was a female preacher. All kind of things that I can't really ride with at the moment, you see. And uh, it was that. But I, but I was on my knees and, and I was talking to the Lord. And the, I knew the gospel for a long time. And God was merciful and the Spirit drew me. And I was telling him everything. Nothing to boast in. It was so shameful to have to say it. In one sense, I was thankful that it was him I was saying it to. You know, but sometimes when we have baptisms in this church, you have to tell the folks what. because when we have baptisms here, people tell the testimonies of how they came to the Lord. And sometimes people send me the testimonies, and I have to tell them, please. please. Some of these details. Uh, tell the Lord. Right? <laughs> but it's because they love the Lord so much. They love him. They, they, he's changed them. He saved them. But, you know, we, the people, because we love him, when we first loved him, we told him everything. We didn't hide anything from him. It was a true heart the only thing we would say to him was lord the problem is I don't know my heart and so even though I'm saying this to you lord and I'm saying I love you or I need you you're the one that knows whether that's true or not so have mercy and and and, and Paul says in first Corinthians 4 I don't even judge my own heart I don't even judge myself a sincere heart and to fall away is to stop being sincere with the lord because there is some sin that we so desire to cling to. He says, with full assurance of faith. Drawn near with a sure heart and full assurance of faith. Believing that this God is He's true. What he has said is true. He promised that he will forgive my sin. And he will do it. He's promised that there's a day of... Some of us, we we ran to Jesus Christ when we heard of judgment. We were just living in sin with everyone else. We we were just living as unbelievers and it was all good. There was no desire for the Lord. There was no passion for Him. I just wanted to live in my sin. And then I began to believe that actually there's judgment. Because think of it, the decision the Christian makes is not difficult to to conceive of logically, right? Right? Would you rather choose to enjoy with your friends and face judgment or be alone and be safe? It's not rocket science, right? No one's saying that. It's whether you believe the warnings and the threats. And um, very, very often when people become Christians, they, 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 they separate from friends. They, not, 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 not even maybe... In a sense, somewhat subconsciously, but we just can't do the things we used to do anymore. I just don't run around in those circles the way I used to anymore. And one of the things is because we believe what God has said about himself, about judgment, about the future, about meaning, about life. And we're we're convinced. Why do Christians give so much of their possessions to the church? for the work of the gospel. We are absolutely convinced. And the unbeliever unbelievers looks in the church and says it's a money-making machine. Now, we know those folks who are responsible for that kind of picture. But there's nothing to be ashamed of as far as the fact that Christians give their money is concerned. We're absolutely convinced. We have a full assurance of faith. We believe what God has said. And he's saying that falling away begins when we begin to doubt that when we don't believe that god is who he said he is when we begin to question is he good is he loving is he really merciful is he truly powerful is there really heaven and hell are my sins really that bad should i really have to face punishment for these? is there any profit to righteousness the evil up, the the wicked are prospering and that's when we begin to fall away and he says no when you're persevering it means you're saying to yourself I believe all that God has said is this same writer to the Hebrews in the following chapter that says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must come, believing that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He says, we had our, verse 22, we have our hearts cleansed from an evil conscience, sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. It looks something like this. We, we believed what God said about his son, Jesus Christ, being able to wash away our sins we believed what God said about his own holiness and how he's so righteous how God is holy and we are not we saw the glory of God's light and our darkness was revealed we saw our hopelessness because what we deserve was judgment but we believe on this Jesus and we believe that what he does is he cleanses our guilty consciences When the writer of the Hebrew says our bodies are washed with water, most commentators think that there's a reference to that which baptism symbolizes, the cleansing of sin. So in a sense, he's making the same point. He's saying to be a Christian is to know that your guilt is washed away. And we persevere by being able to present our consciences to God and say, God is cleansing me from my sin. Of course, this has everything to do with a sincere heart. If we don't have sincere hearts and we begin to try and cover up certain sins and we try and we begin to have pleasure in certain sins, then we never bring our hearts to God for cleansing. To persevere in the faith is to constantly bring your heart to God for cleansing. Think of it. In the Lord's Supper, which we're to do so often, one of the things that we love in the New Testament is that we need to be. We need to we, we come and we examine ourselves. Don't eat of that body unworthy. What does that mean for the Christian? It means that at the Lord's table, I say to myself, this is the blood. This is the body. The blood that was shed, the body that was broken for me. And this morning, this evening, whenever you eat of that, I eat it as one who confesses that the blood of Jesus Christ washes away my guilt. And I believe that. I believe that. And when people fall away, it's because in their consciences they have begun to embrace another way of life. They have begun, they have begun to embrace their sin in such a way that they will not bring it to God for cleansing. And lastly, he says in verse 23: Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. He says basically, be hold on to your hope and don't let anything cause you to stumble to persevere in the faith is to say all my hope is in Jesus Christ all I have is Jesus Christ and come what may come what may be taken from me I'm gonna fix my eyes on this one thing the hope I have always in Jesus Christ and when you fall away from perseverance it's because something has taken the place of that you're putting something you're saying actually no I'm having hope in this no no, no I, I'm choosing to have hope in that no the promise of heaven does not look so glorious this is why we need to we need to preach faithfully the promises of a new creation. Think of it. The writer to the Hebrews here, said, he said to these Christians later on in chapter 11. He says there was a time when because you claimed to be Christians, you were losing so much. You lost so much, possess- so much stuff. Who knows why? Probably some kind of governmental um, persecution, governmental punishment of those who were Christians. meant that they didn't have certain advantages. And the writer to the Hebrews says, you guys talk to yourselves. That's fine because we have an inheritance in heaven. How many of us can even speak that way or live that way? That's fine. I've got a promise in heaven. That's fine. I'm never without hope. And there, are things, my, my, there are things, brothers and sisters, that, 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 that weigh us down. There's things that really kind of dim the lights on, on, on any given day. There are things that hurt us so much, things that we wish were resolved. But how many of us... Isn't that what the Christian says? It's okay. I have a hope in Jesus Christ. He's leading me. And I'm holding on to that hope. Come what may. Not just affliction, but also temptation. Satan is the kind to say to us, leap from this... and I, uh, oh, Sorry, bow before me and, and, and I give you all the kingdoms of the world. He's the kind to say that to us. To say, what are you re- willing to trade for your hope to sit you at the table and say what is it that you want and the christian has to be someone paul says he's not wavering he doesn't even take the call he won't even sit to engage that he won't even sit to have that conversation but it will surprise you my brothers and sisters how many people give up that hope for something fleeting in the eyes of the world it will seem sensible huh it seems sensible you're going to make this much money or keep claiming Christ don't think it's worth it. I wonder how much Hollywood and our music industry has been used by Satan to make those offers to people. I, this might be uh, a, a kind of wise tale and stuff, but I, I feel, I've feel i always thought that way. You take the, uh, the, the 60s and 70s when soul music was, uh, well, even a bit earlier than that, when, when soul music was... And the charts, right? The popular charts was full of musicians who were honed in the churches, and it's a complicated thing to discuss because I don't know if these people were Christians in the first place. Neither do I know that it's a sin to be a soul musician, but for many of them, deeper than they were making a conscious decision to forsake their Christ for the glamour. But we're talking millions. Of dollars or pounds we're talking millions of adoring fans we're talking fulfilling your dreams is christ greater than that or like me are you not just thankful that god never presented you with that option but but do you see what it was you see they were choosing these things. But sometimes it's, never been, it's not been so outlandish. It's, it's, been a, it's been the love of someone else, a man or a woman. Am I going to choose to be in love with this person? It's been friendship. Am, am I going to choose to maintain this friendship? It's been the pleasure of sin. Am I going to trade it all for the hope? Um, I'm going to stop there this morning. I'm going to I'm gonna make some applications from what I've just said. Um, maybe... I will finish this off next Lord's Day. If not, let me make the sermon worth your while. Okay. Um, This is what perseverance looks like. It looks like asking those questions. I I can't put a timetable on how often you ought to do that. I'm not saying you have to do that every day. But we have to live like this. We have to live like this saying, at this given moment, do I see that the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for sinners... Is all that matters. But you see what I'm saying. I'm not belittling the many problems you have. I'm not saying that there's not many questions some of you have to face. Where am I going to find money for this? Or what job am I going to take? Or um, what's going to happen to me in the next ten years? Serious questions that you face. Or what's going to happen to my health? What's going to happen to this family? And so on and so forth. But there's only one problem that really matters. What can wash away my sin? And Jesus Christ has provided the answer. And so to persevere is to say, yeah, so all that matters. Are you saying that this morning? To persevere is to say that all that matters is that I'm God's child. I'm drawing near to him. The, the real problem in the world today is that men have fallen away from God. We've gone far from him. But in Jesus Christ, we draw near to him. We come near to him. We don't hide anything. We come into his holy presence. And that is worth more than all this world has to offer. That's perseverance. To say, I'm going to approach God sincerely. Never will I go a day without showing God what's in my heart. There's nothing to conceal from him. How foolish to try and hide something from the all-seeing God. But he can see my heart. One hymn we sing says, Take my life and let it be consecrated to thee. Take my life heart my lord i pour at your feet its treasure store everything i give to you that's what it means for the christian to keep on persevering to faith is to say this is another day where i refuse to hide the state of my heart from god i'll be honest because i fully believe what he has said i believe the warnings of judgment i believe the promises of mercy in christ jesus i believe that his blood can wash away my sin and i stand here today as someone who says lord cleanse my heart of its sin my sin of deepest dye those sins that make my heart so so dark cleanse it and make me pure and um, all my hope is in jesus christ all my hope is in him every single day i'm living with the sort of awareness that there are, that there's, there's going to be con- competing voices trying to say to me, actually put your hope in this. Trade your hope for that. The hope that Christ promises is delayed. Enjoy a more present hope. And to persevere in the faith is to say with Moses, I'd rather suffer with the people of God then enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Because they're only for a season. Only in Christ Jesus do we have true hope. So friends, uh, let's hear the words of the writer of the Hebrews. A call to persevere in the faith. Um, to choose Christ above everything else. And today is the day for salvation. Today, right now, is the place that we must say, I choose Christ and forsake the world. Amen.